Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help autistic adults and teens become more successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Over the holidays, my wife got me a weighted blanket because I'm a pretty restless sleeper and my quality of sleep is not the greatest. This blanket has helped me sleep better, I'm excited to say. But if you have sleep apnea, getting a good night's sleep is more complicated than just buying a weighted blanket. On this episode of Autism Stories, we talk with John Truitt about how sleep apnea affects so many autistic people and what he is doing to try to combat these challenges. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Doug, for having me. I want to start and learn where does your story in the autism community begin? My story begins about two years ago. Um, as far as people have diagnosis for me, I was vaguely aware of autism. Didn't even really know the term autism spectrum disorder. Just really uh, understood autism to be pretty much what's the, the extreme low functioning side of it. I had a uh, close friend and fraternity brother who has a daughter that is uh, low-functioning autistic. So up until two years ago, I had a very skewed view of what the spectrum was. Then after after diagnosis, um, you know, kind of came in and it, it took me probably, I don't know, two or three months to even realize, you know, what the Asperger's traits were. I've also been dis, uh, sorry, diagnosed with dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, communication disorder, and some other things, and we, we never had any idea I had uh, any of that. So it was a real, it was a, a real surprise at 45 years old. Now, for a long time, you've specialized in supporting dental and medical startups to become successful. What strengths do you feel from being autistic do you feel have helped you in being so successful in this field? I think there's a couple of, of uh, parts of that Definitely the perseverance and the autistic focus, you know, the, the, the technical side of things, uh, you know, in retrospect has made a, a huge impact on what I was, what I was able to do. Uh, probably the second component of it is uh, with my form of thinking, which is pretty much pattern-based thinking, having the experience of looking at dental models, medical models, business models, and then overlaying them on top of each other to be able to kind of get the best of, of all worlds out of it. Uh, that's definitely driven predominantly from from the Asperger's and possibly a little bit from the dyslexia and things like that. But I I see it almost as a vocation. I mean, it's it's, it's to the point now after two years that uh, my view on it is if you're trying to do anything creative, from whether it's a business or art or music, you, you, I feel like neurotypicals are actually at a disadvantage. You know, I honestly don't know how you would be really good at doing any of those things without having some of the Asperger's traits. You've worked with you've worked with businesses that have helped people that have sleep apnea, which is something that many autistic people struggle with throughout their lives. What are some of the common challenges that you see for people with sleep apnea have that often go misdiagnosed? Okay, and this is this is not specific, obviously, to anybody on the spectrum. This is just in general. The, uh, the indicators for obstructive sleep apnea are obesity, um, age, alcohol consumption, and smoking. Those are the things that are going to make sleep apnea 
come on, you know, the, the things you can, well, you can't control age, but you can control whether you, you know, whether you drink to, to a large degree, whether you stand white or smoke. Um, so those are going to be the things that, that tend to increase your chances of having it. Um, if you're a lady and your neck circumference is 15 and a half or greater, if you're a man and your neck, your neck circumference is 17 and a half uh, inches or, or greater, you're going to, to tend to also fall in the category of having it. Um, some of the comorbidities associated with it are uh, high blood pressure, uh, myocardial infraction or a heart attack, uh, type 2 diabetes, and stroke are very correlated to obstructive sleep apnea. So, yeah, it's very important that it's addressed and treated. And if people don't get their sleep apnea treated, what are some of the effects to their health? So, um, those comorbidities I just listed, so essentially what, what can happen with obstructive sleep apnea, or what does happen with obstructive sleep apnea, is your blood oxygen level desaturates. And once you desaturate below about 90%, um, things start to happen. To give you an idea of how bad it can be, I mean, we've seen patients down to 47% which is basically like climbing to the top of Mount Everest every night. So it's just wrecking their, their whole, you know, cardiopulmonary system. It uh, causes an incredible amount of stress, which causes cortisol to be dumped into you. Um, and, and essentially those comorbidities I mentioned, they just kind of, they skyrocket. Like the correlation in between hypertension, which is high blood pressure, um, and obstructive sleep apnea, the correlations are incredibly high. Same thing with, with stroke. So, Obviously, it can cause a it can cause a lot of things. We used to kind of not joke, but make the comment in the industry a lot that this stuff looks like it causes everything to cancer. And they actually did a study that shows it can it can actually cause cancer. So it's uh, it's something that needs to be treated. What about family history? How much does that play a factor in terms of sleep apnea? Family history can play a factor uh, from from a couple of angles for sure. You know, families tend to have metabolic rates that are, are high or low. So if you've inherited a low metabolic rate, you know, it's going to be more difficult to keep the weight off. So that's going to have a potentially cause the apnea. Also, body structure. Facially, if uh, the patient's holding the face, a long, tall face, regardless of their weight, they're going to uh, have a higher propensity to have apnea. That's kind of uh, the patient category we see a lot of times, um, you know, females that weigh. 100 to 115 pounds, which is no no weight issue in those, and they have severe apnea, that's due to facial structure. So yes, there can be an inherited component to it. Hearing you speak about sleep apnea, it makes me think about so many autistic people that are not involved in exercise, and maybe their nutrition is not the best. How much do you feel like that plays a factor into so many uh, people on the spectrum having sleep apnea? That's a great question, and I think it plays a huge role. There's a gentleman by the name of William DeVent who uh, was on the original studies to, well, to, to define REM sleep back in 1947. He's actually still still around. And he created something called the Triumvirate of Health, and that's exercise, nutrition, and sleep. And his point was that most people understand at least that they should exercise, most people understand that they should eat right, but not many you know, understood that they should sleep. But um, really, to, to, to drive your point home, the gentleman who's considered the godfather of sleep literally said those three things, that that's the key to health. You have to exercise, you have to have good nutrition, you have to have good sleep. And 
as far as uh, those of us with Asperger's, yeah, it's a real issue because generally, um, you know, there's not a lot of exercise going on. The diet tends to be high fat, high sugar. And um, I've not met anyone yet with Asperger's that doesn't have some kind of sleeping issue, either onset or architecture or latency. Um, so, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Doug. Now, recently, you have started a nonprofit of your own. How? How has your work with other businesses, medical and dental startups, prepared you for this? Well, I think it did in a number of ways. I think it prepared me for understanding the structure of how any business is run, and you know what that's going to be like on on the inside of doing it and growing it and moving it. Um, also, due to my sleep and dental contacts, it's uh, it obviously provided me with a great global network of people to reach out to. And then kind of the, I guess the cherry on top is the uh, the guy who is going to, or is CEO and is CFO for me, is a, a former guy I worked with in a previous company. Um, he was my uh, VP of finance for North America. And then after we parted, he's been at a nonprofit now for the last six years uh, as a chief financial officer. So that whole experience even brought me, you know, together with somebody who's up with the, with the cherry. So I, I think there was a lot of value now, what is the mission of your nonprofit, and how can others get involved in supporting your mission? Um, I actually have six key points to the nonprofit. The first one is actually research, and it kicks off with a sleep study. What I would like to do is a global cohort sleep study, leveraging my contacts, uh, limited to adult Asperger's patients, and find out answers to those to those uh, key issues I just asked earlier. Or, or sorry, just commented on earlier. Um, basically, people falling asleep, staying asleep, and then having disrupted sleep. So that's going to be one of the key initiatives. Um, I also have a pretty big vision for a self-sustaining community of adult Asperger's folks that uh, we're all living in a in a in an area that's uh, independent but has some structure and oversight. And obviously, that's a huge project. Um, an annual symposium bringing together educators, patients industry, you know, and, and making that at a location that people would love to, to get together. Actually funding a film based on Asperger's adults for awareness. So, uh, you know, I think one of the, the, the big tragedies is when they did the big short and, you know, everything with uh, Dr. Burry, they, they had actual footage of where he discovers in self-diagnosis having Asperger's and they took it out of the film. I think mean, that's a you know a tragedy because it could have really increased awareness. So I think that there's something that can be done there. And then the, the final two components are just general community awareness and, and outreach and training the trainer. So working with you know adults, parents, kids, schools, and uh, just getting as much information out there that, that we can. And, and I believe that there's a lot of value in doing this research and working with adults and then figuring out how we repurpose that for pediatric application. So I can see kind of as a feedback loop where what they find out about kids can help adults and what we found out about adults can help kids. Now you were talking about sleep study research specifically for autistic and, and people that have Asperger's. Are there any studies out there that are like focusing on, on that? Not really. There are, I've been able to find, I believe I found three that have anything at all to do with the autism, Asperger's, and sleep. Um, this one, again, would be 
very specific uh, looking at adults, and, and we'd want to want to look for those three factors plus apnea. Um, so it's a very specific, uh, you know, designed one. But to directly answer your question, no, the data is not out there. Which, which that's the reason I wanted to do this. I, one of the first things I did is started looking up sleep and autism aspergers, and I really couldn't find any or much uh, viable clinical data. It was interesting you talking earlier about how neurotypical people are at a deficit when like we're talking about things like creativity, and I found that to be true in, in many cases. I've seen some beautiful artwork online that you created, that extremely creative abstract art. What inspires you to create each piece, and will this be in any way connected to your nonprofit? Starting at the backwards, uh, back at the back first. Yes, it will be connected to the to the nonprofit. The way the art came about, honestly, Doug, was very interesting. So I've never, I've never painted a picture in my life, any kind. Um, I did play bass in a band in in college and things like that, but not not what you consider an overly creative person. And uh, back about fourteen months ago, just kind of had this let's start painting. And um, it was pretty wild. I, I started one, and then I realized that I wanted to do more to it before it had dried. So within a very short amount of time, I just kind of automatically created this system while I was doing like 20 of these paintings at once. So I would do them as I finished one, it would go to dry, and I'd just do them in a circle. And I literally, you know, the old autistic focus kicking in, eight hours, 12 hours, 16 hours, just doing it like that over and over. And then it's kind of like once I, I figured that style out, you know, it's gone through just different iterations of how, how it's evolved. But basically, um, I, I don't envision a picture at all before I start. I start, and then it kind of develops as I go. And I often listen to music and actually stem with a palette knife as I'm doing it, um, which I find both relaxing and, and, it, uh, and it, you know, creates some of the art. So it's a... Uh, it's really just inspired by me listening to some music and just starting to go with colors, and then it just goes in the direction that it's going to go. That is, that's really fascinating. And um, for those that want to learn more about the mission of your nonprofit, uh, how would they go about doing so? Uh, the easiest way is probably to go to the foundation's website. It is a 501 3 school nonprofit, so we're .org, and it is on the Spectrum Foundation. Um, if they happen to hit .com, it'll point back to, to .org. And we are just in the process of, of launching it. So it, it is out there, and it's going to become a lot more robust over the coming weeks and months. Well, John, I really appreciated the conversation. Thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Doug. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and thanks to John for the conversation. Autism Personal Coach looks forward in learning about all the sleep studies that John does in the future and helping out in any way we can. Modern life can be challenging for anyone. When you're autistic, the world isn't designed with your unique traits in mind, and everyday demands can feel insurmountable. At Autism Personal Coach, we celebrate neurodiversity by empowering adults and teens to be the best versions of their authentic selves. The people we serve are the real experts. We're here to help their goals become a reality. 
To get an autism coach for a loved one or yourself to achieve your goals or dreams, email doug.bletcher at autismpersonalcoach.com or call or text 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Haley Moss and Amy Guetta about the Americans with Disabilities Act 29 years later. Talk to you then. Our actions are different.